0: This is the Hacker Valley Studio podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology.
1: Hey, how's it going everybody? Welcome back to the show. So I've known Georgia Weedman for years at this point. I've watched her ascent into cybersecurity and it's really been an awesome journey to watch. But in this conversation, we really get to know who she is, where she comes from, her background, and all the crazy stories that happened in her life. If you listen to this episode and you really appreciate it, check out some more episodes at hackervalley.studio. And as always, if you're looking to support us, go to patreon.com forward slash hackervalley studio and you could do it there as well. Let's get right to this awesome episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be
2: back again in the virtual studio, but we've brought a special guest with us today. We've brought Georgia Weedman. She is a book author. She authored Penetration Testing, a hands on introduction to hacking. She's also a two time founder, currently at
1: Shavira and Bulb Security. Welcome to the show, Georgia.
0: Hey, thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, Georgia, you know, it's crazy. Even though we've only really hung out like a handful of times, we've actually known each other for almost 10 years. I think it's pretty incredible. For people that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today.
0: Okay, so my background. Well, I actually went to college early, like after the eighth grade, so I still don't have a high school diploma, oddly enough. But I went straight to college, and then I went to grad school for computer science after. So basically, my mom's a computer scientist, and my dad's a physicist, and I guess just thumb my nose at both of them. I did math, but (laughs) then I was in grad school, and I realized I was not Einstein, and I didn't really want to be a math professor. I wanted to be like a researcher, so I went to computer science grad school. And they had this thing called the Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition that it was just like a extracurricular club thing. And it was awful, absolutely awful, because you played, like, the Defenders, and then they had, like, all the real, like, hackers come and, like, destroy your, like, way-out-of-date stuff. It's a really miserable experience, but I realized I wanted to be, like, the Red Team people, so... That was, I guess, kind of why I decided to do security. I was lucky in that I had a master's degree in computer science. So I feel really bad because people like ask me how to get a job in security all the time. And I'm like, I have no idea because, you know, the government people are are, like begging to have people with degrees in computer science. They'll just like take anybody. It doesn't matter how much you know, because I'll admit, I didn't know that much about security when I started but because I had that degree, they were like, oh, whatever. Butts in seats kind of things. So that's how I got my first security job by being completely unqualified but having an <laughs> advanced degree. So while degrees are not necessary, absolutely not at all, they certainly help with like getting that first job in my experience. Anyway, all right, so we've gotten up to my first job. And then I, you know, my first job was in the DC area and they had I guess they still do have a group called Nova Hackers that met every month and it was like people would give talks and stuff and I'm not entirely sure what possessed me to decide to submit a talk for Schmoocon. I guess because I found my butts in seat government job like really boring. So I wanted to be able to get like, you know, the better job in security. And I had done things like the OSCP and whatnot. I was not quite as clueless as I had started out, but still certainly. I still consider myself mostly an amateur because security is so big and moving so fast. But anyway, so I was going to Nova Hackers and I wanted to get the kind of jobs that, like, you know, the the big name people then, it was like Chris Gates and Rob Fuller were, like, the main people. I basically wanted to be them. So, I was like, well, I guess I should submit a talk. So, I did some <laughs> research on, like, SMS botnets, you know, before it was cool for, like, all the mobile malware to do that. Yeah. Uh, I did that. And I submitted it, my first talk ever, to ShmooCon, which is kind of a hard one to get into, but... I just, I don't know. I guess I didn't have enough, like, understanding about, like, what was way out of my league. So I was always like, oh, let's just submit to on, Oh, let's ask DARPA for some money. Like, things that, you know, at my level, having been in security for as long as it had, were really absurd things for me to try to do. But it worked out, so... I guess, believe in yourself a little too much and be naive about how the world works is my <laughs> my advice to anyone getting into security. And so then, you know, that kind of blew up and I did some more talks, which is where I met you is through like the easy Council stuff. So, you know, I started doing more talks. I started giving training. That went well. And then they asked me, somebody was like, you should do the DARPA cyber fast track, which is at the time was a way for like security researchers to get government money to do research without having to go through like the SBIR process, which you really, for like most government grants, you need to have someone whose whole job it is to write government grants in order to get Mm -hmm. them. The DARPA cyber fast track was not like that. It was awesome. It was like, you know, five pages and I had it within like a week. And so I, did that. And then promptly, you know, I I did the talk so I could get the better InfoSec job. I got the better InfoSec job that I wanted where I worked from home and, you know, I got to do like pin testing stuff. And then, you know, just a few months after that, I got fired from the job for accepting the DARPA money. So I'm probably, you know, have no right to talk about any of this because, you know, I had a job in cybersecurity for about, you know, 13 months of my life because then, you know, I, did my own LLC and then I was just assumed I was going to go back to work like after the DARPA thing was done, but I had managed to bring in enough like pin testing work and training work and money from conferences that it was just like, well, maybe I should just do my own thing. So I did, did that for a while. And then, well, in that time, I also wrote the first edition of my book So it's like, sure, I can write a book about security. I know (laughs) everything about that. Because again, we're talking like I've been in security probably for like two and a half years at this point. But yeah, I'm the expert in everything. I can write a book. Yeah. I don't know. I have no self-esteem. So it's kind of like I don't know how I thought these things were good ideas at the time. But they all worked out. So, yeah, I wrote the book, and the book got this, like, huge, major backlash. I mean, people don't remember this because, you know, now it's like everybody just loves it, like it's the coolest thing since sliced bread and InfoSec, but, well, okay, that's going a little too far, but I'm (laughs) I'm continually surprised by how popular the book is. It really... So popular. But when it first came out, or even as it was starting to come out, like... These I could probably even say who now, like Wesley McGrew, who we're, we're totally past this now, we're friends, but he actually wrote my publisher and told them that I plagiarized it and was going to get my book shut down. And all these people were writing blog posts about how much my book sucked. And it was hmm. like, not even out yet. So I, it surprises me that people liked it so much, because it was such an inauspicious beginning. <laughs> so... You know, I did that and then like immediately after the book came out, I applied to do the Mach 37 Cyber Security Accelerator, which was for startups, but I didn't really know what a startup was. I just wanted to learn more business skills. So it was like, oh, other people in my community are doing this. I may as well do it too. I'll learn more about business. You know, maybe turn my DARPA project, the smartphone pen test framework into like a product line and everything will be wonderful. And then, you know, cut to a few months later and I'm like, okay so now I have all this like debt in my new company because we raised money for like no apparent reason and hired all these people uh for no apparent reason other than to spend my money and it was just like oh my god this is a disaster so I have my certain views on startups I guess but uh, so I mean I still like have the product line and continue to build it out and you know get some good customers but it's you know it's not kind of doing that hockey stick kind of thing it's more of like you know I've got a a good rev a good alternate revenue stream business there which you know given how things are going now it'll be interesting to see where that goes but yeah I still do the consulting I still do the product stuff I still I'm working on the second edition of the book, you know, a little bit of that, a little bit of this.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it sounds like if you, if someone's just hearing you talk for the first time, it almost seems like almost effortless in some ways. But I just from listening to that story, that's an incredible amount of work. The one thing I want to ask about is that that transition from eighth grade to like basically starting your life and going to college. What what was that transition like? Why, why did you decide to, to not do high school and go right to college?
0: I really was getting bullied really bad in in junior high. I was like, for a while, I just kind of hung out with like the geek boys. I'm from Mississippi, you know, gender roles is like a thing down there still for sure. Like it was okay to be a geeky boy, but not really okay to be a geeky girl. And then, you know, once we get to like sixth grade and there's like school dances and stuff and whatnot, the geeky boys want nothing to do with me. Or maybe it's because I beat them at chess. I don't know. But like, Even the geeky people were like, ew, Georgia. So it was just like, I am not going through this. I I came home one day and I'm like, I'm dropping out. I'm not going back there. You know, my mom's a college professor. So I'm like, you can take me to school and I'll take classes at your college, but I am not going back there. So I found a program. It's called the Program for the Exceptionally Gifted, which, you know, doesn't sound, like, really pompous at all, right?
1: Um, <laughs> Is this X-Men?
0: Uh, yeah, exactly. I actually wrote a, a short story about that when I was in school, like, that we had instead, like, gone to, like, school to become, like, X-Men-type creatures. But, no, we just went to college. The transition was it was not a good idea. I was not at all emotionally mature enough to be, like, living on my own in a college dorm at all. Sometimes I'm surprised I'm still alive, but it wasn't all girls school. So, you know, maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know.
2: (laughs) That is pretty surprising to hear. I've, I've actually never met someone that has transitioned from eighth grade to college. I've only seen it on TV. Pretty interesting to hear about the program. Was that was that challenging to get into? I actually have a nephew that's been asking me about the same type of questions. How can I skip high school?
0: Well, what I would do now, I would definitely not do what I did then. Now that you know, because there is so much stuff online, I mean, like you can get you could do like high school extension program through like Stanford and stuff. So, and you can go at your own pace, so you can finish quicker, and then you do get the the high school diploma, and you know you have that to send to like colleges because I mean, they're like they're the one I went to; it was all girls but like what's his name Mia Farrow's kid Ronan the one who did the Me Too movement basically to start did the investigative journalist thing he went early and went to like Simon's Rock College of Bard so there are other programs but at this point there's just so many opportunities to do high school at your own pace I would just do that and then go to any college you want to but maybe when you're like 16 not when you're 14 that's a little early that's right. when I went
1: <laughs> yeah that, that seems like it would be super tough I'd love to to touch on your equestrian background because I, I still see the pictures today it seems like you're doing amazing things like did, did you ever want to do that for your full-time gig uh, or is that something that you just more do as a hobby as a competitor I would love to hear that background
0: well I rode when I was a kid it was like you know my mom was like Wanting to get horses and kind of like keep them in the backyard and like go trail riding maybe once a week. So she did not get that. She got, you know, competition horses and all this. So I'm sure she regrets the day that she ever like put me in riding lessons because it was like, you, horses, it's like, you know, you may as well just like throw money out of your car as you drive down the road. <laughs> horses are just so expensive. They just, like, eat money. So, yeah. So I did it when I was a kid, competitively. And I really wanted to be, like, a professional equestrian. You know how people want to be, like, I don't know, astronauts or actors. Like, I mean, some people do it. But it was more of that kind of, like pipe dream kind of thing and now as an adult I'm really glad that like my parents had the like good sense to like tell me that's not a good idea because so much of that it's not like working with horses it's like dealing with people because all the horses have owners so really Mm. you're like dealing with people you're in customer service and that's not a skill set I have at all really so that was good but Actually, when I did the startup accelerator and started my second company, Shavira, somebody suggested I needed to do something in my life besides work. So that's kind of how that happened. I was like, well, I rode as a kid, so I'll go take a riding lesson thinking, you know, maybe I'll take a once a week riding lesson. And now, you know, it's a couple of years later now, but now I have two horses and, yeah, I compete a lot. Well, I'm not competing right now, thank you coronavirus. Uh, We're completely terrible. shut down. But you know, it never really shuts down with horses, so we can't compete. But other than that, it's been pretty normal, except like only one person can go in the barn at once and stuff like that. But I have been able to ride the horses, so yeah, that's been pretty normal. But I'm looking forward to competition starting, but I certainly don't want it to start too early. I kind of feel like maybe they're thinking about starting it a little too early.
1: <laughs> mm. And and how do you how do you practice that? And and would you say there are any parallels between uh equestrian, you know, sports and cybersecurity?
0: I mean, well, to practice it, you know, it's just hours spent in the saddle, you know, getting the right muscles for riding. I mean, I actually I mean, I jump but I don't jump at home that much because you know the horses only have so many jumps in them you can't just you know it's not like sports equipment it's an actual right. like living creature so I mean really I just you know practice it at the shows <laughs> so I don't like overwork them they mainly do like Fitness exercises. We like trot up a hill or something to like do like fitness. It's pretty much what we do. And parallels between security, you know, I'm sure there are some, but I mean, horses are my escape from the rest of my life being security. So if there are parallels, I don't want to know about it.
2: You're uh, programming the horse to follow the instructions, maybe. <laughs>
0: uh, no, program a horse. They do whatever they feel like. Don't let right. anyone tell you any different.
2: <laughs> so, you know, as Chris was just talking about it, you know, from the story, if, it, if someone is just hearing about it, it sounds like, you know, a lot of these kind of milestones in life have come a little effortlessly, but maybe it's because uh, you're talking about a little bit about self-esteem. Maybe it's the fact that you didn't have anything to lose do you think that's played a part in you just rapidly kind of tackling the challenges and goals that you want to tackle
0: it must have because I mean I totally feel the difference now that it's like you know with the second edition of the book it's like man it was so much easier to write the first edition because like the worst thing that was going to happen is like nobody was going to read it and people were going to say it was dumb on the internet like this time if it's not good it's like all these like thousands and thousands of people who want the second edition and love the first one are gonna be so let down and that's definitely like things I didn't really think about back then and it's like you know it was almost like you know how arrogant of me was it to like even think that I could get a DARPA cyber fast track grant at that point but that didn't even occur to me like I just did it so I don't know. I guess it's the high school-like aspects of the security community that make it hard. But you know what's weird? Like, I go to... I, like... Well, I don't go anywhere now. But, like, I speak at, like, conferences over the net. And I used to go there. But, like, places like, you know, in the Middle East and India and Brazil, because they translated my book into Portuguese, like... There's these pockets of the world where, like, people think I'm really cool. And then it's like, (laughs) you know, I guess kind of among the, like, elite hacker type people, you know, I say elite with air quotes, even though you can't see. I mean, they're not really elite, (laughs) but they think they are, you know, the socially elite, if we will. You know, a lot of them think I'm like the lamest thing ever and just don't attack me anymore because it's passe to attack people in the post me too world. But you know, it's interesting. It's really interesting.
2: We should I be nicer to, to each other. I was gonna say I would love to kind of hear your thoughts and kind of opinion on what do you see going forward in the future. Before we jumped on we're we're talking a little bit about mobile security. What do you see uh for the future of security now that we're in covid and even moving beyond it
0: well i definitely think you know we're not going to be able to like put this back in the box if you will i mean even people who have you know more social skills than me are totally like why would i ever want to like commute to the office ever again i've managed to do it just as well at home so i think you know I mean, I've been working from home for years. Love it. So I think that that's definitely... I mean, there's just going to be so much pressure. And, I mean, companies can't really say, oh, it won't work if it has, you know. So I think, you know, it's going to be... A lot more mobile. I mean, on prem is there is unfortunately, you know, gonna be, I think, a lot smaller of our budget. And unfortunately, that's also where a lot of our security spend has been up until now is like, oh, let's buy this fancy firewall. But, you know, now it's, you know, cloud services, enterprise mobility management, meeting platforms, you know, anything that, you know, is gonna be security for people on the go on their own devices, which is, you know, I hate to say I've been harping on this for like 10 years and it's like, you know, mobile's here and now you can't really, after this, you really can't say that it's not. So, I mean, we're so, so pitifully behind where we need to be in terms of like, even just standards for what is security of people working from home on their own computer and their own phone and accessing corporate resources. Like, How do we even begin to secure that? Like we have, it's so fragmented and you know, the solutions, a lot of them, I mean, there are some good solutions. Don't get me wrong. And all of them should definitely buy my company. I would love to be part of (laughs) your enterprise mobility management solution. (laughs) Believe me, all of you, even if you don't make a good one, I'd love to help you make it better. See, I really want to sell my company. (laughs) Yeah. Um. But uh, anyway, where was I going with this? So I think that we are, you know, we had time to do better. We had a lot of time to do better and we didn't. And, you know, now people are, I think, waking up to it. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, Zoom had all these security problems, but who stopped using Zoom? So, you know, we're still not, as a society, treating security as well as we should. You know, we're. it's been interesting because, like, some people have slashed their security budgets a lot. Some people, you know, they're buying it and then they're just not paying for it. Thanks, customers. Some people, you know, they've got more security budget. So it's really, it's a very interesting time right now. But, you know, this is the new reality. It's here. (laughs) So, you know, if you make a firewall that, you know, protects the internal network, better make something else. (laughs)
2: right or at least expand on another technology to kind of augment some of the yeah the absence of customers or opportunity there
0: yeah
1: a a lot of security really goes back to behavior what are some easy things that people can do from uh, a normal person's perspective to keep themselves safe uh from from a mobile attack
0: well a mobile attack as well as You know, any kind of attack. Because, you know, at the end of the day, these things all kind of come back to the same questions. That So my big three are, you know, passwords. I mean, I get it. I'm not perfect password- patty or anything over here i just made that
1: <laughs> I, up I, that's um, awesome i using like, that forever <laughs> me too
0: i was just like what's another p um, <laughs> but i mean i know it's hard it's like you know if you don't reuse it you're not gonna remember it oh but password managers then if you want to use it on your phone it's like you have to get your computer out to get your credit card and i mean i get it that we have not solved this authentication problem at all But, you know, doing your best to within, you know, the realm of how much time and space there is in your life to, you know, follow those password rules of, you know, don't reuse it, use complex ones, don't make it like a dictionary word or something. And don't just make it a dictionary one word with like a one at the end either. You know, I mean, this isn't a soliloquy on passwords, but, you know, password security Important. My other one is patching. I mean, updates. Again, I'm not perfect on this, particularly because I I do exploit development and stuff. So having added date stuff is is nice, especially on the iPhone side, because it's hard to like bring them back. So. I make mistakes too. I think we all do. Or it comes up and it wants to update while I'm in the middle of a presentation, and I'm like, "Go away!" And then I forget about it. So I mean, we all make mistakes. But you know, keeping your operating systems up to date, keeping all the apps up to date, keeping, you know, the. But then there's the downside to that that there's all those like fishes now that say, "Oh, your your Flash Player's out of date. Download the." the update and it's malware so i mean it's scary which brings us into the third one and the third one for me which is probably the most important one is phishing you know as intense as some of the attacks are with like the chains of zero days and things like that almost like all of them like I mean, the Trident attack where it had like three zero days for iOS, it started by sending the user text message where they had to click on a link and that opened it in the browser and then it exploited the browser. So, I mean, certainly we haven't fixed the email security problem around phishing, but... In addition to email, any way that somebody can send you a link, be it text message, WhatsApp, uh, Facebook Messenger, Twitter direct message, any way that it can be given to you, Bluetooth, any way they can get you to to potentially click on a link. Those are places you want to be vigilant as well, not just email. Email is not like the phishing gallery. It can be any way they can send you a link. So, I mean, those are my big ones, you know, passwords, updates, and phishing. because. Yeah, that will make you, like, perfectly secure. There will be vulnerabilities in your life. But, you know, most of the attackers that, you know, unless you're, like, you know, a big company or a high net worth individual or, you know, someone has a personal vendetta against you, you know, most of the attacks you're going to run into, people just, you know, want to build up their botnet. They don't really care who they get. So, if you're not easy, they'll move on to somebody who who is and they'll have plenty of fish out there. So, I mean, that'll help you a lot.
1: Yeah, that's perfect. Perfect advice and 100% agree. One thing I wanted to ask you about, because I think most people have self-esteem challenges at some on some part of that spectrum. and But you've continued to persevere. You've continued to put yourself out there, whether it's in books or talks, your company. It takes some vulnerability to actually do some of, a lot of that stuff. And so what I wanted to ask you is for people out there that Are afraid to get you know ridiculed. That are afraid of the people you know the peanut gallery out there that's going to try to to kick mud up in your face, even though you're just trying to do something positive. What piece of advice would you give to those people?
0: I mean, I guess what I really find as like a disservice is you know a lot of people are always like, "Oh, hater's gonna hate," just ignore it, like and act like it doesn't get to them. When I mean, I think. You know, no matter who you are, I mean, I haven't done an exhaustive study, but, you know, somewhere between watching like those late night celebrities read mean tweets to my own experiences to, you know, the experiences of others, like to some books I've read, it seems like you know, it's just the way our brains work that, you know, you could get 99 pieces of good feedback and one piece of bad feedback. And that's what your brain's going to focus on that you really, you know, have to actively snap yourself out of that. So, I mean, I would say that, you know, I think that, You know, by acting like it's not a big deal, I think it makes people feel worse that, you know, they are affected by it. But everybody's affected by it. So I think we need to be more open about the fact that, you know, haters suck. Like, it it really sucks. It can really ruin your day. So, I mean, I guess my advice for that would be, like, just realize that, yeah, it hurts. But, you know, everybody who puts themselves out there like has to go through that and it's always going to suck and we should be nicer to each other, but you know, that it's, it just come. it's not just you that it hurts, you know?
1: Yeah. That's perfect. Perfect advice. Georgia, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come onto our show from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for people that want to keep up with you. Maybe some vendors out there want to work with your company. What are some ways that people can stay in touch with you?
0: Well, um, if you go to Shavira.com and again, well, I said this before we started recording, but my best advice about doing a startup is name it something that no one can <laughs> say or spell. So Shavira, I'd love to get people to do like, you know, get security type people to do trials on it to like, you know, help me improve it. So if you go to Shavira.com, I can get you hooked up on that. I'm on Twitter, you know, just my name email i'm actually practicing inbox zero now so i'm not missing email anymore yay for me right but you know i'm on instagram i'm on twitter i have a youtube channel i occasionally check my messages on all these platforms
2: nice such a pleasure to have you thanks again georgia we'll be sure to put all of those links and resources in the show notes but it sounds like you're pretty much everywhere but we'll see everybody next time
0: thanks for having me on i really appreciate it